0: Hello, you are listening to an episode of Trade Talks, a podcast by the economics of trade policy. I'm Samaya Keynes, the US economics and trade editor for The Economist.
1: And I'm Chad Bown, a senior fellow with the Peterson Institute for International Economics.
0: A lot has happened since we last recorded Trade Talks. We've had tariffs on around $200 billion worth of Chinese imports. We've had an announcement that Trade Talks are going to start between the US and Japan. For this week, we are going to talk about what people think about globalization and trade.
1: And we brought in an expert, Bruce Stokes from the Pew Research Center. Now, Bruce may have the best job title I've ever seen. At Pew, he is the Director of Global Economic Attitudes. That seems like a very powerful job.
0: Bruce is with us to share a hot-off-the-press new survey of global economic attitudes. So, Bruce, what are the headlines? What's the news that you're going to break on Trade Talks today?
2: Well, what we found in 27 countries where we've done this survey, and we've done it a number of times now, the last time was in 2014, is that overwhelmingly people in both advanced economies and in emerging markets believe that trade's good for their country. What they aren't so sure of is whether it is good for them, if it creates jobs, if it raises wages. And in fact, they don't even believe that it lowers prices.
0: Oh dear, economists have been doing something wrong in their communications. Can we talk about the breakdown or the the comparisons between different countries? So are American attitudes, for example, different to those in other places?
2: Well, yes, if you compare them, Americans are slightly less believing that trade is good for the country. But it's still three-quarters of Americans say trade in principle is good for the country, whereas in other advanced economies, it's more like nine in ten people say that. And in emerging markets, it's more like eight and 10 people. So we're, Americans are slightly less supportive of the idea of trade in principle being good for the country. When you get to more specific questions about does trade create jobs, Americans are significantly less willing to say that trade creates jobs. Only about 36% say that, which is low uh, compared to the rest of the world. We roughly are the same as other advanced economies in believing that trade will raise wages, it's only three in 10 people across the advanced world who who say that. Now we are more likely to say the trade decreases prices, but still it's only 37% of Americans who believe
1: that. And you've indicated this is one of these surveys that you do on a repeated basis. So have these results been changing much over time? In 2014, we first asked these questions
2: across the world. We repeated them now in 2018. We've asked them in the U.S. more often than that. And what we've seen in the last survey is that the percentage of Americans who say trade creates jobs has gone up. It's gone up in terms of the percentage who say that trade raises wages, but it's still less than four in 10 people
1: in both cases that believe that. Do you tend to see differing results depending on, say, where you are in the business cycle? So right now, the U.S. economy is booming and you know doing really well. You would expect attitudes in general to be more positive. Is that the kind of thing that we see? And you're right. They are. Uh, We have asked people about the state of their national economy,
2: not only in the U.S., but around the world. And if you believe that your economy is doing well, you are much more likely to say that trade creates jobs and you're much more likely to say trade raises wages than if you believe your economy is doing poorly. So clearly, people's attitudes about their own economy has an impact on a lot of different issues, including whether trade is a good thing for me or not.
0: I want us to get to differences between Democrat and Republican voters. But before we do that, what kind of health checks should we be aware of when we hear these headline poll numbers? How is the sausage made? What what can't we learn from these numbers?
2: First off, I think people need to realize that polling is both a science and an art. Now, the science is you do your best job to design the survey, to make sure you get a a representative sample of the country. And in places like India, that means you go out in the middle of rural Rajasthan and you interview farmers. But first off, people have to realize that there's an art to this. There's an art in how you write the question. You have to make the question balanced. And I think people who read about polls should try to look at the question and say, do I think this is a fair question or is it put its thumb on the scale somehow?
0: Could you give an example of a a leading question?
2: Well, I think just to make something up, it would be something like, do you think trade is great because it creates jobs or do you think trade is an oppressive thing put on us by big corporations? Well, you know, that would probably skew the answer a bit. So first off, people have to kind of look at the questions if they can, see how the questions were administered. If they're done online, be very wary because often you miss older people, you miss poorer people, you miss less educated people who might not be online. Another thing to think about as people read and look at polls is the best polls ask questions that evoke emotion, not reason. And most of us who work with polling want them to be terribly rational that the respondent had a reason behind the answer that he or she gave and frankly when i was a journalist years ago that's what i wanted too but now that i've been a pollster for a number of years i think the best questions evoke an emotion because most people don't lie awake nights trying to figure out whether trade creates jobs or destroys jobs they have an emotion about that and people have an opinion but they don't really have a reason And and finally, human beings are infinitely capable of having mutually contradictory emotions at the same time. So when you read a poll and you say, well, how can the respondent say this because just a couple of questions before that he said that, well, they're human. And we all are a mass of contradictions in our emotions. And why shouldn't people have contradictory? They say trade's good for the country, but it's bad for me. That's not a contradiction. It just
1: happens to be how they feel. So people, aside from me, don't lay awake at night wondering if trade creates or destroys jobs. But should we be worried about how much they think about trade at all? This is a political issue. It was a political issue in the 2016 campaign.
2: So we need to know what voters are thinking about trade. But we should remember that when we look at people's priorities in terms of what they think is are the challenges facing the country and are forming how they're going to vote, we just recently... Did a poll of registered voters in the United States. We gave them options about what are the issues that you're going to help determine how you vote in November. Of the 16 issues we gave to people, there were 12 issues more important than trade. So we need to put that in context. Over half of both Republicans and Democrats said trade was a very important issue. So it's not that they don't have opinions, but relative to other things, it's a low priority.
0: What's the typical response rate? one of these surveys like how many people actually answer when you call them up
2: well this is again one of the dirty little secrets of polling is that in countries where you do telephone surveys which is the us japan western europe the response rate is low and going down you have to make about 10 phone calls in the united states to get one person answer your questions now that makes it harder to have a representative sample because You need to have so many old people and so many white people and so many females, etc. So you may have to make even more phone calls.
0: And you may worry that the kind of people who are picking up the phone are systematically different from the people who aren't.
2: Right. You do have to worry that what you're getting is opinionated people who are waiting for somebody to call and ask them their opinion. And so that's why, over time, we are transitioning to what are called panels, where you assemble a panel of people that's demographically reflective of the broader population. You don't pay them, but you make sure they have a computer, you teach them how to use it, and then you do this online. And what the value of that is, is you can have far more people on that panel. And then you rotate people off because you don't want professional test takers to try to address the question of opinionated people. Now, in the emerging markets and in developing countries, these are still done face-to-face.
0: Let's go back to America because I want to ask you about Democrats versus Republicans, with all of those health checks that we just went through. So there's one really interesting chart that is in this survey that you've just published that seems to show a reversal of opinion between Republicans and Democrats in terms of their attitudes to trade. What's been going on?
2: Well, what we found on the question, the very general question we've asked in the past, which is, is trade and business ties good for the country? That When a Democrat is in the White House, Democrats tend to say, yes, they're good for the country. And when a Republican is in the White House, say under George Bush or now under Donald Trump, Republicans say, yes, trade's good for the country. Now, underlying that are other questions that suggest that Republicans are actually more critical of trade than Democrats. So in terms of that broader, more general, principled question, I think one of the ways to interpret that answer is, if my guy is in the White House— I think he can take care of it. And if the other guy's in the White House who I don't like, well, then I'm more wary of whether this is going to be good for the country.
0: I think a lot of people have in their heads this idea that Republican politicians, so so members of Congress and senators, are much more pro-free trade than the voters that they represent. And one of the reasons you're chart caught my eye was that the idea that now Republican voters are more strongly in favor of trade than Democrats slightly uh, goes against that idea. So so what's going on?
2: I think we have to go back to the issue of how you write the question, that when you ask people a principled question, you get a principled answer. People like trade in general, or they think it's good for the country. When you ask people, what about trade agreements? This is an action by your government to further open the U.S. Market to global competition, you go from about 75% of people who say trade's good for the country to only slightly over 50 who say trade agreements are good for the country. And it's when you ask that trade agreement question, you begin to get more of the sense of what the Democratic and Republican base feels about trade. And many of our listeners may have come of age during the trade wars with Japan when the notion was All Democrats are protectionists, all Republicans are free traders. Well, actually, our surveys of the public and CNNs and New York Times and Gallups have all found the same thing for years now. Self-identified Republicans are the protectionists in the American public, and self-identified Democrats are the free traders, probably largely because the demographic base of the two parties has changed. The Democratic Party is increasingly a party of young people, minorities, and women. And our surveys and everybody else's surveys show those are the groups that, in response to the question about whether free trade agreements are good for the country, are most likely to say yes. And old white men, like me, are more likely now to say that trade agreements are bad for the country. And they tend to vote, at the margin, more Republican. So we get that split in the voter base. Donald Trump was actually the only Republican candidate for president in 2016 who understood that. And he played to that, in part because I think he has long held economic nationalist views. And so trade became a bigger issue in the election than it had ever been before.
1: Just to go back to one of the points that you made, there does seem to be this mismatch in American politics at the moment between the Democratic voters who seem to be Know, more pro-trade, pro-globalization than their elected representatives, at least in the Senate and in Congress, that seem more protectionist, and just having it be the opposite on the Republican side, where the Republican voters seem to be becoming more protectionist and the politicians less so, what do we know about what drives what? So is it the voters that ultimately drive the politicians, or is it the other way around? Well, in Democratic theory, Democratic with a small d theory,
2: it should be that Voter attitudes drive politicians, but I think we all know that that doesn't always hold on many issues. There are certainly more Republicans, in my experience, in, on Capitol Hill who now question trade than, say, did 20, 30 years ago. So we could say they are beginning to reflect the attitudes of Republican voters. We certainly have a president who is more protectionist today than any previous Republican president, which would suggest he understands his base and their base attitudes about trade. But I also think we have to remind ourselves again that even though voters have opinions about trade, it's not a priority. So a member of Congress who may have come of age and formed his own opinions about trade in a different era can sometimes probably choose to ignore the attitudes of his voters because he feels strongly that, for example, that he's a Republican and trade is good, even if some of my voters don't think it is, or vice versa for a a Democrat. And we also can't ignore the fact that the labor union movement provides a lot of money and, more importantly, manpower to the Democratic Party, and they have been more critical of trade over time. And the business community provides a lot of money to Republican candidates, and the business community in the United States is very supportive of trade. So that plays in, I think, to the way in which members of Congress may vote and may sometimes appear to be out of touch with their own voters.
0: Let's turn to how Americans view particular trading partners. So what do we know about what people think about China?
2: Well, what's interesting is that The American public is increasingly worried about Chinese economic competition and the rise of China as an economic power. We do a survey every year where we ask people, what is it about China you're most worried about? The Chinese holding American debt is the number one concern of the American public this year. With cyber attacks number two, the loss of jobs is actually down the list a little bit. It's still a strong number of people who believe that the Chinese are taking our jobs, but it's lower than some of these other issues. And the trade deficit is lower. What's interesting is that attitudes in general towards China are not good. They tend to wax and wane over time. And favorability of China among Americans is only about 47%. That's roughly what it was last year. That's fairly low, but not horrible. And what is interesting, and I think we see this in the trade data, and we see it in the data about China, is that young people are more positive towards China than older people in the United States and all over the world. And young people in the United States are more positive
1: about trade than older people. So part of this is a generational issue as well. So there's broad perception in the United States that trading with China is somehow unfair. Is there any potential for that kind of attitude to change?
2: Well, it's interesting. Gallup has uh, asked this question about who do you consider to be a fair or unfair trader a number of times over the last couple of decades. And they just began to ask it recently about China and Americans think that China's an unfair trader. Now, what's interesting and might be instructive is that in 1993, they asked this question and people thought Japan was an unfair trader. And today the American public considers Japan a fair trader. Now, one could argue that Japanese haven't changed their policies that much, our trade imbalance with Japan in nominal terms hasn't changed that much, but the American public seems to only have be able to hold one boogeyman at a time, and China's the current boogeyman. Now, what is interesting, though, is that the president has attacked Canada for unfair trade practices very consistently for months now. And what's interesting, if you go back in time, the American public overwhelmingly thought Canada was a fair trader. And that number's gone down a statistically significant amount. It's particularly gone down among Republicans, which would suggest that when the President of the United States and that leader of my party attacks Canada for being unfair, well then I see Canada as unfair if I'm a Republican. It's a very interesting example of the bully pulpit of the White House having an impact especially upon partisan voters.
0: And that's interesting because earlier we were talking about how voters might be influencing politicians. And this is an example of the reverse going on where actually politicians are leading opinion the other way. Let's talk about NAFTA then. So in the dynamics of agreeing a new trade deal, it can really matter what the Mexican or the Canadian public thinks of uh, Donald Trump or the Americans because that will color the, the trade deal that they are about to accept. What do we know about attitudes of, say, Mexicans towards Donald Trump or you know, the American administration?
2: Well, every year at Pew, we do a survey of attitudes towards the US and attitude towards the US president, whoever that may be. Last year, when we asked people in Mexico, do they have a favorable, unfavorable view of the US? Do they have confidence in the US president? Both those numbers were historic lows. We will be releasing the 2018 data next week and I can't tell you what it is, but I can tell you last year it was really bad. Similarly in Canada, the degree of favorability of the United States or confidence in the U.S. president was pretty low in terms of Donald Trump in 2017. We'll ask the question again, and I think you're right that those overarching views of the United States and the U.S. president do factor into the politics of the country in question, Mexico or Canada, in terms of what their leaders can or can't do uh, vis-a-vis
1: the U.S. And a, and a trade agreement. Do we know anything yet about how people feel about President Trump's tariffs or the tariffs that other countries are imposing on American exports to retaliate against President Trump's tariffs? It's a great and timely question.
2: And we've asked about it, uh, and a number of other polling organizations, NBC, Fox, CNN, have asked about these, that issue. And what's consistent among all those polls is that people think that these tariffs are going to be bad for the country. And when NBC asked a question where they said, would you prefer to use tariffs to protect American industry or do you think maintaining relations with America's allies is more important? And the American public said maintaining good relations with the allies is actually more important than using tariffs to protect domestic industry.
0: So I guess that's relevant for the steel and and aluminium tariffs and potentially the tariffs on cars that the Trump administration has been threatening. But they may not think of China as a U.S. ally. And so that wouldn't necessarily speak to, to the tariffs on China.
2: And also, I think we have to look at the partisan breakdown on those questions. And in each of those surveys, those people who had a favorable view of Donald Trump thought the tariffs were going to be good for the country, and those who had an unfavorable view of Donald Trump thought the tariffs would be bad for the country. When people were asked, uh, how do you feel that Donald Trump is handling trade policy in general? Again, you got this huge partisan break. And I think we have to be honest with ourselves. When people heard the question, were they hearing the word Trump or were they hearing the word tariffs and trade? Because what we may be eliciting is people's attitudes towards the president, not necessarily towards the actions of the president.
0: I think that is a great note to end on, and that is all for Trade Talks. A huge thank you to Bruce Stokes at the Pew Research Center for explaining to us all things polling.
1: And thanks also to our audio guy, Colin Waring, for making us sound great.
0: If you like the podcast, poll yourself as to how good you think it is, and then tell everyone the results of your poll. Follow us on Twitter. I'm at Samaya Keynes.
1: And I'm at Chad Baum.
0: And we're on at trade underscore underscore talks.
1: That's not one but two underscores. At trade underscore underscore talks. Because two sides to every question are better than one.